0: For the record, here is my cat purring before we start today. Okay, now that that's saved for posterity. Chapter 32. When the particulars of this conversation were repeated by Miss Dashwood to her sister, as they very soon were, the effect on her was not entirely such as the former had hoped to see. Not that Marianne appeared to distrust the truth of any part of it, for she listened to it all with the most steady and submissive attention, neither made objection nor remark, attempted no vindication of Willoughby, and seemed to show by her tears that she felt it to be impossible. But though this behavior assured Eleanor that the conviction of his guilt was carried home to her mind, though she saw satisfaction though she saw with satisfaction the effect of it, it no longer avoiding Colonel Brandon when he called, in her speaking to him, even voluntarily speaking, with a kind of compassionate respect, and though she saw her spirits less violently irritated than before, she did not see her less wretched. Her mind did become settled, but it was settled in a gloomy dejection. She felt the loss of Willoughby's character yet more heavily than she had felt the loss of his heart. His seduction and desertion of Miss Williams, the misery of that poor girl, and the doubt of what his designs might once have been on herself, preyed altogether so much on her spirits that she could not bring herself to speak of what she felt, even to Eleanor. And brooding over her sorrows and silence gave more pain to her sister than could have been communicated by the most open and frequent confession of them. To give the feelings or the language of Mrs. Dashwood on receiving and answering Eleanor's letter would only be to give a repetition of what her daughters had already felt and said, of a disappointment hardly less painful than Marianne's, and an indignation even greater than Eleanor's. Long letters from her, quickly succeeding each other, arrived to tell all that she suffered and thought to express her anxious solitude for Marianne, and entreat she would bear up with fortitude under this misfortune. Bad indeed must the nature of Marianne's affliction be when her mother could talk of fortitude. Mortifying and humiliating must be the origin of these regrets, which she could wish her not to indulge. Against the interests of her own individual comfort, Miss Dashwood had determined that it would be better for Marianne to be anywhere at that time than at Barton, where everything within her view would be bringing back the past in the strongest and most afflicting manner by constantly placing Willoughby before her. "'such as she had always seen him there. "'She recommended it to her daughters, therefore, "'by all means not to shorten their visit to Mrs. Jennings, "'the length of which, though never exactly fixed, "'had been expected by all to comprise "'at least five or six weeks. "'A variety of occupations of objects and of company, "'which could not be procured at Barton, "'would be inevitable there, "'and might yet, she hoped, "'cheat Marianne at times into some interest beyond herself "'and even into some amusement,' much as the idea of both might now be spurned by her. From all danger of seeing Willoughby again, her mother considered her to at least be equally safe in town as in the country, since his acquaintance must now be dropped by all who call themselves her friends. Design could never bring them into each other's way, negligence could never leave them exposed to a surprise, and chance had less in its favor in the crowd of London than even in the retirements at Barton, where it might force him before her while paying that visit at Allenham on his marriage, which Mrs. Dashwood, from foreseeing it first as a probable event, had brought herself to expect as a certain one. She had yet another reason for wishing her children to remain where they were. A letter from her son-in-law had told her he and his wife were to be in town before the middle of February, and she judged it right that they should sometimes see their brother. Marianne had promised to be guided by her mother's opinion, and she submitted to it, therefore, without opposition, though it proved perfectly different from what she wished and expected, though she felt it to be entirely wrong, formed on mistaken grounds, and that by requiring her long cont- continuance in London, it deprived her only of only the possible alleviation of her wretchedness, the personal sympathy of her mother, and doomed her to such society as such scenes might prevent her of ever knowing a moment's rest. But it was a great matter of great consolation to her that what was brought evil to herself would bring good to her sister, and Eleanor, on the other hand, suspecting it would not be in her power to avoid Edward entirely, comforted herself by thinking that though their long stay would therefore mitigate against her own happiness, it would be better for Marianne than an immediate return to Devonshire. Her carefulness in guarding her sister from ever hearing Willoughby's name mentioned was not thrown away. Marianne, "'though without knowing it herself, "'reaped all its advantage, "'for neither Mrs. Jennings nor Sir John "'nor even Mrs. Palmer herself "'ever spoke of him before her. "'Eleanor wished that the same forbearance "'could have been extended toward herself, "'but that was impossible, "'and she was obliged to listen day after day "'to the indignation of them all. "'Sir John could not have thought it possible.' "'a man of whom he had always had such reason to think well, "'such a good-natured fellow. "'He did not believe there was a bolder rider in England. "'It was an unaccountable business.' He wished him at the devil with all his heart. He would not speak another word to him, meet him where he might for all the world. No, not were he to be by the side of Barton Covert, and they were kept waiting for two hours altogether. Such a scoundrel of a fellow, such a deceitful dog. It was only the last time they had met that he had offered him one of Folly's puppies, and that was to be the end of it. Mrs. Palmer, in her way, was equally angry. She was determined to drop his acquaintance immediately, and she was very thankful that she had never been acquainted with him at all. She wished with all her heart that Combe Magna was not so near Cleveland, but it did not signify, for it was a great deal too far off to visit, she hated him so much that she was resolved to never mention his name again, and she should tell everybody she saw how good for nothing he was. The rest of Mrs. Palmer's sympathy was shown in procuring all the particulars in her power of the approaching marriage and communicating them with Eleanor. She could soon tell what coachmakers the new carriage was building, by what painter Mr. Willoughby's portrait was drawn, and at what warehouse Mrs. Gray's clothes might have been. The calm and polite unconcern of Lady Middleton on the occasion was a happy relief to Eleanor's spirits, oppressed as they often were by the clamorous kindness of others. It was a great comfort to her to be sure of exciting no interest in one person, at least among their inner circle of friends. A great comfort to know that there was one who would meet her without any feeling of curiosity after particulars or any anxiety for her sister's health. Every qualification is raised at times by the circumstances of the moment to more than its real value. And she was sometimes worried down by officious condolence to rate good breeding as more indispensable to comfort than good nature. Lady Middleton expressed her sense of the affair about once, if the subject occurred very often, by saying, It's very shocking indeed. And by the means of this continual, though gentle, to see the Miss Dashwoods from the first without the smallest emotion, but very soon to see them without recollecting a word of the matter, and having thus supported the dignity of her own sex, and spoken her decided censure of what was wrong on the other, she thought herself at liberty to attend the interest of her own assemblies, and therefore determined, though rather against the opinion of Sir John, that a Mrs. Willoughby would at once be a woman of elegance and fortune to leave her card with her as soon as she married. Colonel Brandon's delicate, unobtrusive inquiries were never unwelcome to Miss Dashwood, he had abundantly earned the privilege of intimate discussion of her sister's disappointment by the friendly zeal which he had endeavored to soften it, and they always conversed with confidence. His chief reward for the painful exertion of disclosing past sorrows and present humiliations was given in the pitying eye with which Marianne sometimes observed him, and the gentleness of her voice whenever, though it did not happen often, she was obliged or could her oblige herself to speak with him. These assured him that his exertions had produced an increase of goodwill toward himself, and these gave Eleanor hopes of being farther augmented hereafter. But Mrs. Jennings, who knew nothing of all this, who only knew that the colonel continued as grave as ever, and that she could neither prevail on him to make the offer himself, nor commission her to make it for him, began at the end of two days to think that, instead of midsummer, they would be married till Micamus, and at the end of the week that it would not be a match at all. The good understanding between the Colonel and Miss Dashwood seemed rather to declare that the honors of the mulberry tree, the canal, and the yew arbor would all be made over to her, and Mrs. Jennings had for some time ceased to think at all of Mr. Ferris. Early in February, within a fortnight from the receipt of Willoughby's letter, Eleanor had the painful office of informing her sister that he was married. She had taken care to have the intelligence conveyed to herself as soon as it was known that the ceremony was over and it was desirous that Marianne should not receive the first notice of it from the public papers, which she saw her e- eagerly examining every morning. She received the received the news with such resolute composure, made no observation of it, and at first shed no tears, but after a short time they would burst out, and for the rest of the day she was in a state hardly less pitiable than when she first learnt to expect the event. The Willoughbys left town as soon as they were married, and Eleanor now hoped as there could be no danger of her seeing either of them to prevail on her sister, who who had never yet left the house since the first blow fell to go out again by degrees as she had done before. About this time, the two Miss Steeles lately arrived at their cousin's home in Bartlett's buildings, Holborn, presented themselves again before their more grand relations in Conduit and Berkeley Street and were welcomed by them all with great cordiality. Eleanor only was sorry to see them, Their presence always gave her pain and she hardly knew how to make a very gracious return to the overpowering delight of Lucy in finding her still in town. I should have been quite disappointed if I had not found you here still, she repeated with strong emphasis on the word, but I've always thought I should. It was almost sure you would not leave London yet a while. And though you told me, you know, at Barton that you should not stay above a month, but I thought at the time that you would most likely change your mind. And when it came to the point, "'It would have been much such a great pity "'to have been sent away "'before your brother and sister came. "'And now, to be sure, "'you will be in no hurry to be gone. "'I am amazingly glad you did not keep your word.' "'Eleanor perfectly understood her "'and was forced to use all her self-command "'to make it appear that she did not. "'Well, my dear,' said Mrs. Jennings, "'and how did you travel?' "'Not in the stage, I assure you,' "'replied Mrs. Steele with a quick, quick auscult- exultation. "'We came post all the way "'and had a very smart beau to attend us.' Dr. Davies was coming to town, and so we thought we'd join him in a post-chase, and he behaved very genteelly and paid ten or twelve shillings more than we did. Oh, oh, cried Mrs. Jennings, very pretty indeed. And the doctor is a single man, I warrant you? There now, said Miss Steele, affectedly simpering. Everybody laughs at me so about the doctor, and I cannot think why. My cousins say they are sure I have made a conquest, but for my part I declare I never think about him from one hour. Lord, here comes your beau, Nancy, my cousin said the other day, when she saw him crossing the street to the house. My beau, indeed, and I cannot think of who you mean. The doctor is no beau of mine. Aye, aye, that is very pretty talking, but it won't do. The doctor is the man I see. No, indeed, replied her cousin with affected earnestness, and I beg you will contradict it if you have ever hear it talked of. Mrs. Jennings directly gave her the gratifying assurance that she certainly would not, and Miss Steele made was made happy completely i suppose you will go away and stay with your brother and sister miss dashwood when they come to town said lucy returning after a cessation of hostile hints to the charge no i do not think we shall stay oh yes i dare say you will eleanor would not humor her by further opposition what a charming thing it is that mrs dashwood can spare you both for so long a time together long time indeed interposed mrs jennings why their visit has just begun lucy was silenced. "'I'm sorry we cannot see your sister, Miss Dashwood,' said Miss Steele. "'I'm very sorry she is not well, for Mary had left the room upon their arrival. "'You are very good. "'My sister would be equally sorry to miss the pleasure of seeing you, "'but she has been very much plagued lately with nervous headaches, "'which make her unfit for company or conversation. "'Oh, dear, that is a great pity, but such old friends as Lucy and me, "'I think she might see us, and I'm sure we would not speak a word.' "'Eleanor, with great civility, declined the proposal.' Her sister was perhaps laid down upon the bed or in a dressing gown and therefore not able to come to them. Oh, if that's all, cried Miss Steele, we can all just go, well, go and see her. Eleanor began to find this impertinence too much for her temper, but she was saved the trouble of checking it by Lucy's sharp reprimand, which now, as on many occasions, though it did not give much sweetness to the manner of one sister, was of advantage in governing those of the other. Chapter 33 After some opposition, Marianne yielded to her sister's entreaties and consented to go out with her and Mrs. Jennings one morning for half an hour. She expressed condition, however, for paying no visits and would do no more than accompanying them to Gray's and Sackville Street, where Eleanor was carrying on a negotiation for the exchange of a few old fashioned jewels of her mother. When they stopped at the door, Mrs. Jennings recollected that there was a lady at the other end of the street on whom she ought to call, and as she had no business at Gray's, it was resolved that while her young friends transacted theirs, she should pay a visit and return for them. Mm -hmm. On ascending the stairs, the Miss Dashwoods found so many people before them in the room that there was not a person at liberty to attend to their orders, and they were obliged to wait. All that could be done was to sit down at the other end of the counter, which seemed to promise the quickest succession. Mm -hmm. One gentleman was only standing there, and it was probable that Eleanor was not without hope of exciting his politeness to a quicker dispatch. But the correctness of his eye and the delicacy of his taste proved to be beyond his politeness. He was giving orders for a toothpick case for himself, until its size, shape, and ornaments were determined, all of which, after examining and debating for a quarter of an hour over every toothpick case in the shop, were finally arranged by his own inventive fancy, he had no leisure to bestow any other attention on the two ladies." than what was comprised in three or four very broad stairs, a kind of notice which served to imprint on Eleanor the remembrance of a person and face of strong, natural, sterling insignificance, though adorned with the first cycle of fashion. Marianne was spared from the troublesome feeling of content and resentment on this impertinent examination of their features and on the puppyism of his manner in deciding on all the different horrors of the different toothpick cases presented to his inspection by remaining unconscious of it all for she was well able to collect her thoughts with one herself and be as ignorant as to what was passing around her in Mr. Grey's shop as in her own bedroom. At last, the affair was decided. The ivory, the gold, and the pearls all received their appointment, and the gentleman, having named the last day on which his existence could be continued without the possession of the toothpick case, drew on his gloves with leisurely care and bestowing another glance on the Miss Dashwoods, but such a a one seemed rather to demand the express admiration, walked off with a happy air of real conceit and affected indifference. Eleanor lost no time in bringing her business forward and was on the point of concluding it when another gentleman presented himself at her side. She turned her eyes toward his face and found him with some surprise to be her brother. Their affection and pleasure in meeting was just enough to make a very creditable appearance in Mr. Gray's shop. John Dashwood was really far from being sorry to see his sisters again. It rather gave him satisfaction, and his inquiries after their mother were respectful and attentive. Eleanor found that he and Fanny had been in town for two days. I wished very much to call upon you yesterday, said he, but it was impossible, for we were obliged to take Harry to see the wild beasts at Exeter Exchange, and we spent the rest of the day with Mrs. Ferris. Harry was vastly pleased. This morning I had to fully intended to call you, and if I could possibly find a spare half an hour, but one always has so much to do on first coming to town. I'm here. To, I have come here to bespeak Fanny a seal. But tomorrow I think I shall certainly be able to call in Berkeley Street and be introduced to your friend Mrs. Jennings. I understand she is a woman of very good fortune, and the Middletons too. You must introduce me to them. As my mother-in-law's relations, I shall be happy to show them every respect. They are excellent neighbors to you in the country, I understand. Excellent indeed. Their attentions to our comfort and friendliness in every particular is more than I can express. I am extremely glad to hear it upon my word. Extremely glad indeed. But so it ought to be. They are people of large fortune. They are related to you. And every civility and accommodation can serve to make your situation pleasant. That might be reasonably expected. And so you are most comfortably settled in your little cottage and want for nothing. Edward brought us the most charming account of the place, the most complete thing of its kind, he said, and everything was, as you all seem to enjoy it, beyond anything. It was a great satisfaction to hear it, I assure you. Eleanor did feel a little ashamed of her brother and was not sorry to be spared the necessity of answering him by the arrival of Mrs. Jennings' servant, who came to tell her that his mistress waited for them at the door. Mr. Dashwood attended them downstairs, was introduced to Mrs. Jennings at the door of her carriage, and repeating his hope of being able to call on them the next day, took leave. Her visit was duly paid. He came with the pretense of an apology from their sister-in-law for not coming to, but she was so much engaged with her mother that really she had no leisure for going anywhere. Mrs. Jennings, however, assured him directly that she should not stand upon ceremony, for they were all cousins or something like it, and she should certainly wait on Mrs. John Dashwood very soon and bring her sisters to see her. His manners to them, though calm, were perfectly kind. To Mrs. Jennings, most attentively civil, and on Colonel Brandon's coming in soon after himself, he eyed him with a curiosity which seemed to say that he only wanted to know him to be rich, to be equally civil to him. After staying with them half an hour, he asked Eleanor to walk with him to Conduit Street and introduce him to Sir John and Lady Middleton. The weather was remarkably fine, and she readily consented as soon as they were out of the house. His inquiries began, "Who is Colonel Brandon? Is he a man of fortune? Yes, he has a very good proper property in Dorsetshire. I'm very glad of it. He seems most gentlemanlike, and I think Eleanor, I may congratulate you on the prospect of a very respectable establishment in life. Me, brother, what do you mean?" He likes you. I observed him narrowly and I'm convinced of it. What is the amount of his fortune? I believe about two thousand a year. Two thousand a year! And then, working himself up to a pitch of enthusiastic generosity, he added, Eleanor, I wish with all my heart if it were twice as much for your sake. Indeed, I believe you. But I am very sure that Colonel Brandon has not the smallest wish of marrying me. You are mistaken, Eleanor. You are very much mistaken. A very little trouble on your side secures him. Perhaps just as much as present, he may be undecided. The smallness of your fortune may make him hang back. His friends may advise all against it. But some of those little attentions and encouragements which ladies can so easily give will fix him in spite of himself. And there can be no reason why you should not try for him. It is not to be supposed that any prior attachment on your side In short, you know, as to the attachment of that kind is quite out of the question. The objections are insurmountable. If you have too much sense not to call it that, Colonel Brandon must be the man, and no civility shall be wanting on my part to make him pleased with you and your family. It is a match that must give universal satisfaction. In short, it is the kind of thing that, lowering his voice to an important whisper, will be exceedingly welcome to all parties. Recollecting himself, however, he added. That is, I mean to say, your friends are all truly anxious to see you well-settled, Fanny in particular, for she has your interests very much at heart. I assure you, and her mother too, Mrs. Ferris, a very good-natured woman, I'm sure it would give her great pleasure. She said so much the other day. Eleanor would not vouchsafe any answer. It would not be something remarkable now, he continued, something droll if Fanny should have a brother and I a sister settling at the same time, and yet it is not very unlikely. Is Mr. Edward Ferris, said Eleanor with great resolution, going to be married? It is not actually settled, but there is such a thing in agitation. He has a most excellent mother, Mrs. Ferris, with the utmost liberality, who will come forward and settle him on a thousand a year if the match takes place. The lady is the Honorable Miss Morton, Only daughter of the late Lord Morton with 30,000 pounds, a very desirable connection on both sides. And I have not doubt of of its taking place in time. A thousand a year is a great deal for a mother to give away, to make over forever. But Mrs. Ferris has a noble spirit. To give you another instance of her liberality, the other day, as soon as we came to town, aware that money could not be very plenty with us just now, she put bank notes into Fanny's hands to the amount of 200 pounds. And extremely acceptable as it is, for we must live at a great expense while we are here. He paused for her assent and compassion, and she forced herself to say, Your expenses, both in town and country, must certainly be considerable, but your income is a large one. Not so large, I dare say, as many people suppose. I do not mean to complain, however. It is undoubtedly a comfortable one, and I hope will in time be better." The enclosure of the Norling Common now carrying on is a most serious drain, and then I have made a little purchase within half this half year. East Kingham Farm, you must remember the place where old Gibson used to live. The land was so very desirable for me in every respect, so immediately adjoining my own property that I felt it my duty to buy it. I could not have answered it to my conscience to let it fall into any other hands. A man must pay for his convenience, and it has cost me a vast deal of money." "'more than you think it really and intrinsically worth. "'Why, I hope not that. "'I might have sold it again the next day "'for more than I gave, "'but with regard to the purchase money, "'I might have been very unfortunate indeed, "'for the stocks were at the time low, "'and if I had not happened to have the necessary sum "'in my banker's hands, "'I must have sold out at a great loss.' Eleanor could only smile. Other great and inevitable expenses, too, we have had on our first coming to New Orleans, our respected father, as you well know, bequeathed all of the Stanhill effects that remained at New Orleans and very valuable they were to your mother. Far be it for me to repine at his doing so. He had an undoubted right to dispose of his own property as he chose, but in consequence of it, we have been obliged to make large purchases of linen, china, etc. to supply the place of what was taken away. "'You may guess, after all these expenses, "'how very far we must be from being rich "'and how acceptable Mrs. Ferris's kindness is.' "'Certainly,' said Eleanor, "'and, assisted by her liberality, "'I hope you may yet live to be in easy circumstances. "'Another year or two may do much towards it,' "'he gravely replied, "'but, however, there is still a great deal to be done. "'There is not a stone laid of Fanny's greenhouse "'and nothing but the plan of the flower garden marked out. "'Where is the greenhouse to be? "'Upon the knoll behind the house.' The old walnut trees are all to come down to make room for it, and it will be a very fine object from many parts of the park, and the flower garden will slope down just before it and be exceedingly pretty. We have cleared away all the old thorns that grew in the patches over the brow. Eleanor kept her concern and her censure to herself and was very thankful that Marianne was not present to share that provocation. Having now said enough to make his poverty clear and to do away with the necessity of buying a pair of earrings for each of his sisters in his next visit to Gray's, his thoughts took a cheerfuller turn, and he began to congratulate Eleanor on having such a friend as Mrs. Jennings. She seems most valuable a woman indeed. Her house, her style of living, all bespeak an exceeding good income, and it is an acquaintance that has not only been of great use to you hitherto, but in the end may prove materially advantageous. Her inviting you to town is certainly a vast thing in your favor, and indeed it speaks altogether so great a regard for you, that in all probability when she dies you will not be forgotten. She must have a great deal to leave. Nothing at all, I should rather suppose, for she has only her jointure, which she will all descend to her children. But it is not to be imagined that she lives up to her income. Few people of common prudence will do that, and whatever she saves she will be able to dispose of. And do you think it more likely that she should leave it to her daughters than to us her daughters are both exceedingly well married and therefore i cannot perceive the necessity of her remembering them farther whereas in my opinion by her taking so much notice of you and treating you in this kind way she has given you a sort of claim under her fortunate consideration which a conscientious woman would not disregard nothing can be kinder than her behavior and she can hardly do this without being aware of the expectation she raises "'but she raises none in those most concerned. "'Indeed, brother, your anxiety for our welfare "'and prosperity carries you too far.' "'Why to be sure,' said he, "'seeming to recollect himself. "'People who have very little "'have very little in their power. "'But, my dear Eleanor, "'what is the matter with Marianne? "'She looks very unwell and has lost her color "'and has grown quite thin. "'Is she ill? "'She is not well. "'She has had a nervous complaint on her for several weeks. "'I am sorry for that,' At her time of loss, anything of an illness destroys the bloom forever. Hers has been a short one. She was a handsome girl last September, as I ever saw, and likely to attract the men. There was something in her style of beauty to please them particularly. I remember Fanny used to say that she would marry sooner and better than you did, not but what she is exceedingly fond of you, but it so happened to strike her. She will be mistaken, however. I question whether Marianne now will marry a man worth more than five or six hundred a year at the utmost, and I am very much deceived if you do not do better. Dorsetshire. I know very little of Dorsetshire, but my dear Eleanor, I shall ex- be exceedingly glad to know more of it, and I think I can answer for you having Fanny and myself among the earliest and best pleased of your visitors. Eleanor tried very seriously to convince him that there was no likelihood of her marrying Colonel Brandon but it was an expectation of too much pleasure to himself to be relinquished. And he was really resolved on seeking an intimacy with that gentleman and promoting the marriage by every possible attention. He had just compunction enough for having done nothing for his sisters himself to be exceedingly anxious that everybody else should do a great deal. And an offer from Colonel Brandon or a legacy from Mrs. Jennings was the easiest means of atoning for his own neglect. They were lucky enough to find Lady Middleton at home, and Sir John came in before their visit ended. Abundance of civilities passed on all sides. Sir John was ready to be like anybody, and though Mr. Dashwood did not seem to know much about horses, he soon set him down for a good-natured fellow, while Lady Middleton saw enough of fashion in his appearance to think his acquaintance worth having. And Mr. Dashwood went away delighted with both. "'I shall have a charming account to carry to Fanny,' said he, as he walked back with his sister. "'Lady Middleton is really a most elegant woman. Such a woman, I am sure Fanny will be glad to know. "'And Mrs. Jennings, too, an exceedingly well-behaved woman, though not so elegant as her daughter. "'Your sister need not have any scruple, even, of visiting her, "'which, to say the truth, has been a little the case, and very naturally,' "'for we only knew that Mrs. Jennings was a widow of a man "'who had got all his money in a low way, "'and Fanny and Mrs. Ferris were both strong prepossessed "'that neither she nor her daughters "'were such a kind of women as Fanny would like to associate with. "'But now I can carry her a most satisfactory account of both.'" Mrs. John Dashwood had so much confidence in her husband's judgment that she waited the very next day on Mrs. Jennings and her daughter And her confidence was rewarded by finding even the former, even the woman with whom her sisters were staying, by no means unworthy her notice. As for Lady Middleton, she found her one of the most charming women in the world. Lady Middleton was equally pleased with Mrs. Dashwood. There was a kind of cold-hearted selfishness on both sides, which mutually attracted them, and they sympathized with each other in an insipid property, propriety of demeanor, and a general want of understanding. The same manners, however, which recommended Mrs. John Dashwood to the good opinion of Lady Middleton, did not suit the fancy of Mrs. Jennings, and to her she appeared nothing more than a little proud-looking woman of uncordial address, who met her husband's sisters without any affection, and almost without having anything to say to them, for one quarter of an hour bestowed on Berkeley Street, she sat at least seven minutes and a half in silence. Eleanor wanted very much to know, though she did not choose to ask, "'Whether Edward was in town, but nothing would have induced Fanny voluntarily to mention his name before her "'till able to tell her that his marriage with Miss Morton was resolved on, "'or till her husband's expectations on Colonel Brandon were answered, "'because she believed them still so very much attached to each other "'that they could not be too seditiously divided in a world deed on every occasion. "'The intelligence, however, which she would not give, soon flowed from another quarter.' Lucy came very shortly to claim Eleanor's compassion on being unable to see Edward. Though he had arrived in town with Mr. and Mrs. Dashwood, he dared not come to Bartlett's buildings for fear of detection, and though their mutual impatience to meet was not able to be told, they could do nothing at present but write.